You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey guys, it's Hala and today's episode is a bit different. So I did want to preface it with some information so you guys get what's going on. And before I do that, I did want to talk to everybody about the importance of collaboration over competition. As you guys know, or may not know, I've been really active on Clubhouse lately. So I host rooms in there almost every single day. I've acquired over 10,000 followers. Um, My rooms are really engaged. People love them. They come each and every week to podcast office hours to get insight on how to grow their podcast or, you know, they listen to my live interviews and I've been getting really great traction. So Clubhouse came out with this creator's first program where basically they invited all the different moderators on Clubhouse to fill out a form and basically pitch a show where Clubhouse would give them funding and promotion and kind of promote that show. And I really wanted it. So I applied and I came up with all these different event ideas that I was going to do. But unfortunately, I got rejected for the program. Then I found out that one of my good friends, Rich Cardona, an up and coming podcaster, did get the creator's first program and they selected his show, Command Your Brand. Now, I always give without expecting anything in return. And like I mentioned in the beginning, I believe in collaboration over competition. And so even though Rich is somebody who's active on LinkedIn, even though he's a podcaster, I gave him information just 100% openly. I gave him advice. I helped him grow his show. I gave him media buying advice. He would text me with questions. He would call me with questions. And I was always available to help him. And I was essentially a mentor for him as a friend for a while. And when I told him that I didn't get the creator's first program, his immediate reaction was, well, why don't you be my co-host? Let's do this together. Let's do command your brand together. And so with that, without even being directly selected by Clubhouse, I ended up in the Clubhouse Creators First program. And it's all because of good karma. It's all because I give without expecting anything in return. And for me, that was just like a really special moment. The fact that I really wanted Clubhouse Creators First and I was rejected. And then somehow I ended up in the program because of all the good deeds that I've done. And because I always give without any expectation of anything in return, especially to podcasters and up and coming podcasters. So I just felt like that was like really cool and and a great karma. Like it just represented good karma to me. And I wanted to share that story before we got started. And so we recorded this pilot episode of Command Your Brand on Clubhouse and about 3,500 people came out. It was a great event. We had some of the most favorite Yap guests that we've ever had on the show, Dory Clark from episode one. We had Chase Hughes from episode eight. 
Mark Bowden, who's going to be coming on this summer and also joined us for Yap Live panel called Hacking Human Behavior. And unfortunately, because this was a live event, half the recording was lost. And what happened was, is I was recording on my end and then Matt, my audio engineer, was recording on his end. Club Deck, a new app that just released to record Clubhouse, crashed. And then for me, my phone almost died. And I was thinking, okay, I'd rather lose the recording than lose the contest. And so I had to unplug my phone and plug it into the wall, like into the audio jack and uh, make sure that I wasn't going to get thrown out of the room because my phone died. And unfortunately, we lost half the episode, long story short. So we have the first half and the last seven minutes. We've stitched it together to give you guys a preview of what happened that day. I'm literally kicking myself in the butt because it was such amazing content. Like the whole time we were like, oh my God, this content is fire. This content is fire. We're going to win. And so for the 2,500 or so people, probably closer to 3,500 people who got to listen in that day, you guys are really lucky because half of this recording is gone and lost forever. So I'm kicking myself in the butt, but the show must go on. And speaking of that, I hope you guys enjoy the show. All right. I want to take the opportunity for Paula and I to kind of give you our take on personal branding. And the reason I want to do this is because you're probably going to see how it varies greatly from person to person and from audience member to audience member and why it's not something you could just kind of necessarily nail down. It's very malleable and it's important to understand that. So my take, for example, is that your personal brand is the key to your success. And when we think of success, we think of criteria that people may have put before us. Things that emulate success, whether it's a car or a house or financial gains or working as little as possible and spending as much time with your family as possible. I mean, it can take so many different avenues. However, the success actually comes to what you feel is your success. How are you able to own your life in a very specific way? How are you able to come across where you're able to wake up on a daily basis and you know look in the proverbial mirror and be like, I am the best version of myself that I can be? And it has nothing to do with some of the outside influences that may exist or some of the influences that you know partake in some of your decision-making and how you approach your day and the way that you live your life. So for me, uh, personal branding is the key to your success, your individual success. And I believe once you have been able to kind of cultivate that level of self-awareness, I believe that's when things really start to change. And I'm telling you because that's what happened to me just a few years ago and everything, uh, nothing will ever be the same for that. And that's kind of my definition. It's not scientific. It's not behavioral. It's not academic by any means, but that's my take. And I wanted to get Hollis' take and then we'll get into a little bit more. Yeah, 100%. I think that was a great perspective, Rich. And I just want to give everybody a history lesson because I don't think a lot of people realize that personal branding is like a new phrase. This was just coined back in 1997, which really wasn't that long ago. It was coined by a man. His name is Tom Peters. And Peters taught us that no matter what industry we work in or where we live, we're all CEOs of our own personal brand. And that means we must market ourselves just as vigorously as any product or service. So for me, I always thought of a personal brand as basically being the CEO of your own personal branding company. And to me, 
money. It can be anything. It can be your name, your tone of voice, your reputation, the clothes you wear, the symbols or emojis that you use most often. I think that really encompasses your personal brand and it's whatever makes you unique, the thing that makes you stand out and makes it so that no matter how many other people or companies try to copy your ideas, you are always valuable. You are always unique. So I think that personal branding in a nutshell is the practice of marketing people and their careers as a brand. So that's how I would define it. Awesome. So this is what we want you all to expect uh, from this conversation. We're going to get to introductions here in a second. But we hope that you have the opportunity, number one, to have a different perspective than some of the things that you hear on social media. These are people who are very deeply embedded in different areas of behavior or psychology or marketing and business that will probably help you look at some of the advantages that can come from having a personal brand, not just a feeling. The second thing I wanted to mention is that this is obviously an opportunity for you to submit your questions. If you go to our bios, well, actually, we'll hold that, but we will be taking questions and we want to make sure you have an opportunity to get your specific questions up here and answered by some of the experts. So that is what we hope to expect. We are going to have some uh, giveaway that we're going to talk about. We are going to try and make sure you are participating as frequently as possible, but we want to get to the guests because they are on limited time, but they are very special in their in their unique ways. And how if you want to go ahead with that. Sure. So I want to introduce our guests. We're going to have three guests today. Two of them are here now. So we have Dory Clark. She is the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out. She's also been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. And she was recognized as the number one communication coach in the world by Marshall Goldsmith, who came on my podcast. And that's amazing. And then Chase Hughes. So Chase Hughes has also been on Young and Profiting Podcast, and he is the founder of Applied Behavior research. He served in the U.S. military for 20 years. And over that time, he became a behavior science expert. And he's known for being a renowned human behavior expert. And he's the author of the Ellipsis Manual. So welcome both Chase and Dory to the stage. So glad to be here. Yep. So am I. Thanks for having us on, guys. And Dory, I'm a huge fan. Glad to be in here with you. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Chase. I'm so glad to be here with such a talented crop of folks. This is great, and I can't wait to hear what's what's on your mind. So this is how I'd like to kind of get the audience engaged in the beginning. And actually, the first questions will go to Dory and Chase, but the audience is going to answer them as well. So we'll take hand raising right now. And what we're going to do is we would like you to come up, raise your hand if you want to come up on stage. If you're a mod, please up people up. We would like to invite people up to tell us what they believe what their personal brand means to them or what their personal brand is in 10 seconds or less. So we're going to get some hand raises up here and we're going to bring some people on. But we're, we're going to start with the experts just to see what they got. And Dory, I mean, I know your personal brand really well, I think, but I'd love to hear what your personal brand is to you in about 10 seconds or less, if you're able to do that. <laughs> oh, talk about putting me on the spot, Rich. <laughs> All right. What I like to think it is, is... Uh, maybe a combination of smart and friendly. (laughs) And what I mean by that, just to parse it, is I try really hard 
to make sure that the information that I share is useful, it's actionable. But I think oftentimes people can be a little abstruse about it. And people, frankly, get weird about the topic of personal branding. There's a lot of baggage that people have when it comes to uh, the way that they receive the term. And so I try to really over-index on making things accessible and also just cheering people on because this is kind of a journey. So those are the couple of things that I try to lead with. Awesome. Chase, how about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with Dory. Everything I've done, I've tried to make it quiet, professional, elegant, and effective to the point of being dangerous, to the point where you know people can use it for good as well as anything else. And I teach behavior science, so a lot of what we do is is really muddled in a lot of pop psychology and stuff people see on LinkedIn. There's so much crap out there from, from people who are sharing misinformation. It's really challenging, I think, for a lot of business owners, not just me, that are trying to stand out and make sure that we're recognized as, as experts. Got it. Caroline, how about you? Great question, you guys. So for me, personal branding means what everyone sees around, like what you put forward. And my personal brand is just to be your new best friend. Like if you need help with anything, I'm here to be helpful. And Caroline Dunn. E? Is that, um, let's see, it's E, right? Yes, E. How about you? Hi there. Dory, I can't believe I'm on the same stage as you. It's amazing. I think personal branding for me is being genuine and being there for people when they need you, but at the same time, protecting yourself and making sure you don't overstretch so that you can't be there for nobody else. <laughs> Hopefully that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, Christy, we'll go to you and then Asad and Ariel, and then we'll wrap up so we get into some questions. But thank you. So a really good answer so far. Hi, thank you. So for me, I think personal branding is what everyone else thinks that you do or what you represent, your values, your integrity when you aren't around. So if you've established your personal brand well, everyone can speak about you for you and you don't have to be there. I'm done speaking. And hi, Dory. Hey, Christy. Good to have you here. Asad, what do you got for us? Hi, all. For me, personal branding is all about being that value addition and being different with from the others in the same market. So being different is, is for me, the personal branding aspect in my way. Thank you. All right. And Ariel, I think you're pretty big on personal branding. I'd love to hear your take. Yes, sir. So 10 seconds is hard for me. And Christy kind of said it. But for me, it revolves around how I make other people feel, how I support those around me and what people are saying when I'm not in the room. And I know that to be very positive. Uh, so great. So we're going to get to a couple questions. And Paula, did you want I know you had have had Chase on the podcast and you give the door. I've had Dory as well. But I think you had a couple questions for Chase lined up. And I'm really interested to hear them since I didn't get to look at them ahead of time. So yes, I do have questions for Chase. And my question is about how we look, because when it comes to personal branding, looks matter. You know, clothes matters, hygiene matters. And actually, this has been scientifically proven. So Chase, I've had you on the podcast a bunch of times. You are a wealth of information. And I know that anything I ask you will not stump you, which is the best. And so I know that there's this Texas crosswalk study, and it basically showcases why wearing a suit makes you more likely to get people to follow you than wearing jeans. And so I think this is a great way to open up the conversation in terms of personal branding. And I would love for you to give us that case study. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. 
that study, they took a guy, just like an average dude, and he was in blue jeans and T-shirt, and he would basically walk across the crosswalk when it said, don't cross. There's obviously no cars or anything coming. Uh, but he would kind of just break the crosswalk signal. And, you know, one or two people would follow him. They've repeated this hundreds of times. Then they would go up and put him in a really crisp-looking business suit and fix his hair a little bit. And he would do the exact same behavior. He would jump across the crosswalk, start walking uh, when it said don't cross. And the amount of people that would follow him ranged between an increase, 68% and 80% increase in the number of people who followed him. That was just based on the appearance, and he resembled on in Western cultures what we perceive to be an authority figure or somebody of higher status. It's super interesting. And so in general, like why is obedience, because this, this whole study really talks about obedience, right? Why is obedience something that we need to consider when it comes to personal branding? And uh, so Chase, I'll let you answer that. And then Dory would love to hear your thoughts in terms of like what looks, clothes, like our outward appearance have to do with personal branding and your opinion on that as well. So let's go to Chase and then Dory. Yeah. And really quick, before I open that, the word branding came from branding cattle. So actually branding a shape or an icon into the rump of a cow, basically. And if the cow ever got lost, it could be returned. If your brand was very recognizable and widely known, your chances of getting a cow back were very good. And that's where we talk about branding here. And when it comes down to the authority part of everything, if, if you're looking at any persuasion that's good – it works because our ancestors needed to survive. Authority works because our ancestors had to obey a tribal leader in order to survive or they get kicked out from a tribe. So all good persuasion works and all good branding works because it triggers things that are rooted in our ancestral evolution and how we survived as a species long ago. And tribe is so important. And the more recognizable you are, the more closely people are going to be able to relate to you. And that's where they have that repeating concept where things are recognizable, just like a cattle brand, where things are recognizable. And we know we have a positive expectations because the human brain is an expectation manufacturing device. We could not take two steps in a row without the ability to calculate the probability that something's going to happen next. So having a good brand creates expectancy. I'll leave it at that. I love that analogy. Thank you so much, Chase. That was so good. Dory, what is your thoughts in terms of the way that we look in our outward appearance related to personal branding? When it comes to personal brand and appearance, one story stands out in my mind. Years ago, I used to date this woman who was an artist and she was represented by a top gallery in New York. And she said that, that her gallerist, you know, the woman that, that owned the gallery that represented her, used to have a mantra. And the mantra was, make it look expensive. And it stayed with me because it was just so, so different and so distinctive. It's not necessarily how most of us think. But this woman who was massively successful recognized that especially for something subjective like art, I mean, you know, this, the, same, the same piece of art, um, you know, I could pay $200,000 for it, or it might be on sale at Goodwill. What gives it meaning is the context. What gives it meaning 
is the story that gets wrapped around it. And she realized that if she was going to be able to successfully sell high-end pieces to collectors, it had to, quote-unquote, look expensive. And that's everything from you know the, the quality of the brush strokes or the paint, you know, how much time and care is put into it. And it also extended, frankly, to the lives of the artists. The artists, even though most of them were kind of not that wealthy, were expected to dress up, were expected to be wearing high fashion at uh, showcases because they needed to present a certain type of persona to the buyers. So the same thing, honestly, is true for many of us. Art might be especially subjective, but the truth is consulting services are too. What makes a consultant worth $50 an hour versus $500 an hour versus sorry, I don't charge by the hour. You just have to pay me, you know, $150,000. A lot of that is subjective as well. And so thinking through these questions of appearance and it could be how we dress, but it's also things like our website. What does that look like? Our business cards. These things matter in terms of client perception and our brand and therefore the income we can generate. Yeah, Dory, I'm going to stay on you. I want to ask kind of a follow on from what Chase was talking about in terms of, you know, the persuasion and how persuasion and branding works. Like, obviously, people want a business case for these types of things. Like when it comes to personal branding, you know, especially with someone like Hala and I who in that space, and we are trying to help uh, executives and CEOs, they, they absolutely want the business case. And if we're going off what Chase is talking about, you know, and that persuasion works, like what are we trying to persuade people to think and how does that actually lead to a business outcome? So when it comes to outcomes, one of the most important principles in any of this, if we're thinking about behavioral psychology, is loss aversion. People are much more freaked out about what they might lose as compared to what they might gain. And they get excited, of course, about what they might gain. That's why everybody's uh, you know, been so hopped up about uh, cryptocurrency in the past six months. But although who knows, it seems like the tide's been turning uh, the last few days. But nonetheless, at an evolutionary level, loss aversion really takes precedence. And so in many ways, one of the ways that, that we can leverage this is to create a brand, to create a reputation such that the person who is making the purchase feels safe. There is a famous saying from you know 30 years ago in business, which is nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. And that's not like a massive ringing endorsement of IBM. It doesn't even say IBM is the best. But what it does say is that IBM was the safe choice. And if, if I'm the middle manager and I'm trying to fill out a purchase order and I say, hmm, do I want to get this IBM PC or do I want to get this kind of random thing that's cheaper, but I've never heard of them, always go with IBM because you are not going to get fired. And that is top of mind. It's, you know, who cares about saving your company a little bit of money when the penalty might be that you lose your job? So ultimately, if we can leverage the power of branding to really put forward, and of course, you know, this, clearly this has to be true. This is not a smoke and mirrors thing. But what we want to understand is we have to be conveying the message to people through our brand. We are the safe choice. You know, who cares if you're paying a little bit more because this will not fail. This will not go wrong you will get the result that you want. And what is your guarantee of that? Well, it's my brand. 
because I am known for this. I have a reputation. There's safety in that reputation. And so you can breathe a little bit easier. You can relax. And the extra money is worth it to them for that. And all. That was amazing, Dory. Thank you. It, that was. That was like mic drop right there. So while we're sticking on this topic of why obedience kind of matters, how we can persuade people, trust, all of these kind of things. I was talking to Chase earlier before this call, and we were just kind of talking about this conversation. And he told me something that really stood out to me. He said, the first four words of culture is cult. And I was like, whoa, like that's like, you know, my brain exploded right there because when it comes to personal branding, it's all about starting a movement. Like I think of Young and Profiting, my podcast and, you know, all the Young and Profiters we have out there and and the community we've built around that. It's all about starting a movement, starting a culture around your brand. And so Chase was telling me that permission has a lot to do with this and that permission is the start of any persuasive conversation. And when you're trying to build a personal brand, one of the reasons why is you're trying to get people to trust you to buy your product or service. And so permission is at the start of this. And so Chase, I would love for you to break that down for us. Yeah. And I think this goes exactly along the lines of what Dory was talking about just now, that if I am supremely confident, and I just want to say one thing before I get into this, that If you're projecting a certain image or brand, who you are off camera, who you're being when nobody's looking dramatically affects how your brand comes across. And people don't have to be a body language expert. They're just going to get a gut feeling that says something's not right or something's off about this. And I don't get a good feeling about it. So who you are off camera has got to still be your brand. So if you can't be your brand off camera, then you may want to reconsider what you are while you're on camera. And I would say that every persuasive conversation starts with permission. And if people struggle with confidence, if people struggle with self-confidence, that's typically a struggle with internal permission. It's a feeling like I don't have permission to behave a certain way because I haven't seen evidence that I can do it yet. The brain is constantly searching for evidence to allow you to behave a certain way. But if you're struggling to get permission, no one's coming to save you. No one's going to show up, tap you on the shoulder, and give you a a little permission slip to be confident and to just let go. And just as we're talking about confidence here, if we can all describe the feeling of fear or insecurity, but it's hard to describe the feeling of confidence. And I think most people who are very confident would might describe it as safety. It's kind of, I'm completely safe. Nothing bad's really going to happen. I'm pretty certain that positive outcomes are coming here. So it starts with permission. And if your confidence is real, it won't make other people feel small. Real confidence should be absolutely contagious. Real confidence is contagious. So by giving another person confidence, you're making other people confident and giving them permission to act in another way. So it starts with permission in you and it ends with permission in the other person. One quick follow on to that, Hala. So Dory, I just want to make sure the room, because I don't think anyone might have misconstrued this, but there's a possibility. When you were talking about the IBM analogy, so to speak, and we're talking about being the safe bet, that doesn't mean that your personal brand has to be safe either, right? You're talking about performance and how you deliver outcomes, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to be expressive with your personal brand to an extent. And kind of what Chase was saying, if if there is a delta between who you are when you are on your website, when you're on social media, and then when we meet, 
that's very off-putting. So I just want to just make sure we get clarification on that. You're not saying to be safe, but being reliable is safe. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great clarification, Rich. I mean, actually, having having a personal brand is the safe choice is not terribly interesting and probably not terribly motivational to anybody. Ultimately, what makes you the safe choice is that people understand that whatever they're paying, and it could, in fact, be a lot of money. Ideally, in fact, it's a lot of money. But whatever they're paying, they feel safe in that choice because they know they're getting it. They know they're going to get it because your brand has backstopped the promises that you make. I think that's the key point. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Yap fam. Starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. 
That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. And that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Okay, guys, you are listening to Command Your Brand, no fluff with personal branding experts. We have Dory Clark on the stage, Chase Hughes. We also have Mark Bowden, who's going to be joining us in a couple minutes. And we are having a great conversation right now. You guys are tuning into a guided interview. We're going to have open Q&A in a bit. So with that, I'm going to kick it over to Rich to continue the guided interview. Yeah, and this will go to either Chase or Dory, but... A lot of people misconstrue personal branding as having to be personal. And what I mean by personal is I'm not I don't want to put family stuff out on the internet or you know uh, you know I don't really want to put that I got promoted or maybe that I'm going through a tough time. You know, why do people, you know, the people who misunderstand it as being supremely personal, how can they overcome that and kind of go a different direction and maybe apply lessons that they potentially learned? Or what are some avenues they can explore rather than thinking it has to be a little bit inwards? So one thing to follow up, exactly agree on what Dory was talking about safety and the feeling of safety. There's a lot of entrepreneurs in this group and there's a lot of people that are just starting out here. A lot of safety, what we rely on is reputation. We know the Coca-Cola logo. We know when we go to Taco Bell, it's going to taste the same. Whether we're in New Jersey or Los Angeles, it's going to taste the same. So reputation plays a major role. And if you're just starting out, I remember I just started out. Nobody knew who I was. And I thought there's no way I can't just manufacture 
a reputation that people can trust. And some of that uh, trust that that Dory was talking about, I started my business and I offered a 300% money back guarantee when I started out. And that was the way that I was able to just manufacture that feeling of safety. Like if you don't win big, then you're still going to win big. But I think on the personal side of this, we tend to think of personal in the wrong definition. So we think of personal like, oh, that's too personal. That's kind of inward into my life. But the word person just means about a person, a personal. And then uh, when we talk about personal branding, it's not digging into your life. And it's I think it's about a person. So it's it's selling you. And the third aspect of this is if branding really hits a person. So Apple is not a human being. So we look at an iPhone, we see all these Apple commercials, but they still have a cult-like following. There's people who get Windows computers and stick Apple stickers on them. So they have this happen uh, because their branding is personal. So it's not personal branding, it's branding that is personal. And I would say absolutely does not have to include anything about your personal life or your family. It has to include you and your story and convey that feeling of safety. I'd love to hear what Dory thinks. Yeah, thank you, Chase. I think that's terrific. I would add to that that we can make decisions about in what way we want to be personal as well. Um, There's a, a guy that I know named Michael Furtick, who is the founder of the the website reputation.com, which does a lot of online reputation repair work. And interestingly, one of the the things that he talks about is the fact that he does not like to talk about, you know, his family or things that are sort of intensely personal, but he realized that he needed to give people some way to connect with him. Because if all you're issuing sounds like a press release it's a little hard for people to relate. They begin to uh, feel disconnected. They wonder, like, you know, who is this guy? Is this a robot? But he felt like he didn't want to be exposing, you know, his children or something in different ways. And so he picked something else. He was interested or he is interested in fiction writing. And so what he shares online, it's not baby pictures or things like that. He shares comments and thoughts about things he's read and about things that he's written. And he puts that out and it gives people a different way to get to know him and feel like they're getting to know him as a person, but he's drawn boundaries around it. And I thought that was a a kind of creative solution. Ultimately, it's just a way of enabling people to have a relationship. I remember I I gave a talk at uh, Georgetown a few years ago, and there was a woman in the executive ed program and she raised her hand and she was she was one of the people that was a little nervous about social media. She was a little nervous about personal branding in general. But she said, you know, I'm not quite sure how to do it, but I know I need to do something because my employees told me they feel like they don't know me. And, you know, if you just think about it for a minute, of course, that's a that's a problem. If your employees feel like, you know, who is this person? Who is this cipher that's giving us orders? That's not a great feeling. If you are, uh, if you're on the receiving end of it, you want to be able to know and relate to people as people. And so whatever the modality that you choose, whatever the social network or whatever the topic, I think we do need to find a way to, to make ourselves known to others. Love that, Dory. Yeah, I think these are all like such incredible points you guys are making. So I see that A-Line here on stage has an incredible question that I think is very relevant. So I'd love to hear, you know, your question to the panel, A-Line. Take it away. 
Thank you so much, Hela. Rich story, Chase. I'm Aline. Sorry, I have to quickly correct that. Um, I love the talk so far. Really happy to also tune in to um, this creator first program. Yeah, a big question that is always boggling my mind is what sort of changes are you as experts observing in regards to personal branding through the acts of Generation Z? And also maybe within um, Generation Z, that would be super interesting to get your take on it because there is a big appeal about Generation Z in general. So I'd love to get a point on it. Thank you so much, Amadine, and I'm complete. So I think one of the big changes I've seen is that CEOs don't look like CEOs used to. And we're seeing guys like Gary V. We're seeing guys that are out there in hoodies and sweatpants. And if you scroll through Instagram, maybe it's just targeted at me. But it's like we're seeing stretchy pajamas, but they're made into business suits. So we're seeing this massive shift into more casual tone, more casual appearance. And it's starting to get like the business, the idea of a businessman or a business person like the 70s, 80s, and 90s is starting to almost become a cliche. And it's almost triggering disbelief or uncertainty or almost mistrust around people. And I think this is an interesting shift to see. Dory, I'd love to hear what you think about this. Yeah, thank you, Chase. So I think it really is an interesting question. When it comes to Generation Z or Generation Z, one of the more salient things that I've been fascinated by, actually, I mean, this, you might say that this is uh, sort of a demographic subset, but uh, it, it strikes me as kind of evocative of an overall trait, is the massively exploding percentage that are identifying as LGBTQ or non-binary. I mean, as someone who's, <laughs> I like to think like not that old, I'm 42, you look at that and you're like, Oh my God. Like when I was coming out and I was a teenager, it was like this, you know, crazy fraught, like after school special thing. And now you've literally got over 10% of people just saying, yeah, well, I don't even have a gender. It's like, what? It's very surprising, very rapid. And I think that in many ways for the entirety of the generation, it sort of speaks to a kind of don't define me sort of ethos. I think that, that overall the idea of people being one type of thing, or you, you're, you know, you're calling me one type of thing, seems to be a bit anathema, and that is an interesting trend as far as I see it. I think that the the ideology kind of bleeds over into a lot of places. I mean, of course, you could say there's sort of the the general like teenage defiance of like, don't you tell me what to do, but but overall, it leads to a kind of blurred boundaries and willingness to sort of be iterative or uh, improvisational, I guess, in some way that I think is quite interesting, an interesting phenomenon. So that's one piece of it. I'll just also add as one postscript, and these are these are interesting things to track, but a good friend of mine, a woman named Erica Dewan, recently went viral, went kind of inadvertently viral last week because she wrote a piece on Medium and it was talking about generational issues. And specifically, she was talking about millennials who, you know, now 
Now, of course, millennials are not the hot young thing anymore. And she she coined this phrase, geriatric millennials, <laughs> meaning the oldest millennials. And people uh, people just kind of lit up and went insane that they were like, don't you call me geriatric as a millennial. So every generation, you know, we, we have this sort of peaks and valleys. But I, I think I think also in the end, part of it really is life circumstance that, you know, we've spent uh, a good 15 years with everybody being obsessed about millennials. And the truth is now millennials in many ways are just sort of settling into regular life. They're having kids like everybody else. You know, they're, they're kind of moving to the suburbs like everyone else aided by the pandemic. So life stages takes care of some of these issues. But I am really, really fascinated by Gen Z and its relationship to sexuality and gender. This episode of Yap is sponsored by CastBox, a free podcast app for iOS and Android users. Like many people, I get frustrated with native podcast apps like Apple Podcast and Google Play. I'm always on the hunt for something better. CastBox is a solution with the right balance of clean, attractive design, easy usability, and great features. And I know a lot of my Yap listeners agree because we have over 100,000 listeners subscribed on there. When it comes to podcast apps, I like an easy to use interface and most importantly, great searching capabilities that allow me to easily find the podcasts I'm looking for. CastBox allows you to personalize your listening experience. For example, you can create and organize playlists without having to download the episodes and you can categorize your subscribe podcasts and mark your favorite episodes. CastBox really has it all. And the best part is no ads. Other free podcast apps out there are notorious for their pop-up ads, and that can really ruin the experience. It's no wonder CastBox is the third largest podcast player behind Apple and Spotify. Everyone is catching on to this, especially Android users. CastBox, listen free, download free. What are you waiting for? Download CastBox today and don't forget to subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast and leave us a comment while you're there. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Podbean Advertising Marketplace. Podcast advertising is one of the most cost-effective ways to advertise your product or your service. Just like you're hearing this ad right now, thousands of people could be hearing your ad for much less than radio or other media. You can reach local listeners with podcast advertising. Podcast awareness and listening is on the rise, and it's driven by an explosion in new podcast programming, the pandemic, and consumer adoption of smart speakers. In fact, according to Edison Research, podcast listeners have grown by 29.5% since 2018. And Chartable reports that podcast listeners tend to have significantly higher household incomes than the U.S. average, and they tend to be significantly more educated than the U.S. average. This is great news because you can run your own ads on podcasts easily for an affordable price with Podbean Advertising Marketplace. And the best part is these ads are super targeted. You can choose your location, city, state, or country, and also target by customer interests. Get into the ears of your perfect customer without blowing your budget with Podbean Advertising Marketplace. Go to podbean.com slash holla. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com slash H-A-L-A, podbean.com slash holla to boost your business with podcast advertising now. The process is super easy. Podbean can have a professional voiceover artist record the ad for you, or you can upload your own audio. Again, that's podbean.com slash holla to get your ads on podcasts just like this. Great question, Aileen. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for your contribution. So I'm going to move you back down to the audience. And I do want to introduce Mark Bowden to the stage. Mark Bowden has just joined. Mark Bowden is a body language expert. He was voted the number one body language professional in the world for two years running. He's the author of many books on body language and human behavior. And his nonverbal techniques for influence and persuasion have been described as a secret weapon for G7 leaders. So Mark, welcome to the stage. I can't wait to hear all of your wonderful contributions. So, Hala, I have a question for Mark. Mark, so we have not met yet. Uh, I mean, I, obviously, I DM'd you last night, but I'm so glad you just got here because I have a question uh, that I was going to kind of start with Chase and Dory, but I think it'd be great to start with you. Now, personal branding, when people do decide, you know what, I, I know who I am, I know what I, how I want to be perceived, I know how I want to show up in the marketplace or on social media or whatever it may be, you know, that confidence comes and it takes time. But when you're there... And your interactions may involve body language that is potentially off-putting. And this is maybe just a lack of eye contact, or maybe this is, you know, hope you're putting your hands on your knees or being stiff. Is this really a factor in making sure that people are receiving your message well, even if you're presenting what you think is, is the best intentionality and best representation of who you are and what you want to represent? Yeah, well, here's, here's the problem, Rich, is people judge you. They judge you. They judge me. They judge Hala. They judge Dory. They judge Chase. Like, we all get judged. And how do people judge us? Under what criteria do we get judged? Because we are judging others, and they do judge us. What we need to understand is, yes, we may well have worked out from our point of view. I know what my brand is. I know what, what I want to present to people. I know what I want to show up in their head about me. Now we need to work out how do we get that into their head? How do we know what we're projecting, what we're putting out there actually arrives in their mind in the condition that we wanted it to arrive there and triggers them with the right idea about us. And so therefore, hey, you know, if we do stuff with our body language that triggers them with the wrong idea about us, that's probably not the brand we were going for. So confusion, for example, is not a brand that I, that I can't quite work out who you are, what you're doing, what you stand for. You know, if I'm confused about you, the brand probably isn't working. Hey, maybe I'm not your audience, though. You know, maybe the brand isn't directed at me. So maybe I don't understand the signals. But if you needed me to understand the signal, send me the signal Make sure it's a signal that I can understand and translate in the right way. Don't muddy it up with stuff. Make a choice, make it bigger, and keep it tidy. I hope that helps you with that, Rich. Absolutely. The only thing I would add on to that as a follow-on is, you know, some people may say, but Mark, like, that's not authentic if I have to practice making certain faces in the mirror and smile talking or sitting a certain way or having better posture, uh, which I don't, I'm not saying that's necessarily true at all, but I'm sure there's people out there, and maybe I was one of these people, I don't know, uh, who, who would lean on those kinds of things to weasel my, my way out of having to compromise anything that I thought was really to myself. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Rich, we all learned how to communicate. 
like we all learned it. We learned it from our primary resource holders, the people important in our lives who, who held resource that was valuable to us and we needed. We mirrored them. We copied them. We learned from them. Do we remember learning from them? No, we probably don't remember learning from them but we learned it wasn't our social behaviors are not innate being social yes that's innate but the behaviors we need to show in our particular group society in order to let other people know we understand that society those are learnt behaviors how did we learn them sometimes we remember learning them sometimes we remember being taught them sometimes we just think hey that's just what you do isn't it that's just me that's just me being authentic no you learnt that stuff and everything can be learned and everything can be relearned and you can learn how to be better at this you can learn to be a better version of you today than you were yesterday and tomorrow you can get the information and help so you can show up and try and be a better version of you and that may not sound authentic to some people because they think it's just natural being them you are partly learned behavior a lot of your behaviors are what you've learned Hey, that is no fluff. And that is exactly why we brought the three of you on here. Uh, so thank you very much for that clarification and uh, the added question there. Paul, I know you. we had a good question and I think you were going to reset. Yeah, let's reset the room here. So if you guys are just tuning in, you are listening to Command Your Brand, No Fluff Personal Branding. We've got three amazing experts. We have Dory Clark, Chase Hughes, Mark Bowden here on the stage. They are all personal branding, human behavior, body language experts, which are the perfect experts to have for this conversation. And speaking of that, we have some folks on the stage here now with some relevant questions. One of them is a question that I was going to ask myself. So I'm going to kick it over to Kate to ask her amazing question. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Just before I get into my question, I just wanted to thank you both, Rich and Hala, for hosting such a great room. I feel like so often personal branding is just all talk, but Dory and Chase and Mark, like, thank you so much for giving actionable value and insight. Really cannot wait for more of these rooms. So my question is, in terms of personal branding, I often feel like it's what people think of you after a collection of interactions, after they know you for a while. But how do you make sure that you portray your true self and your personal brand during like a first impression or interaction? I think we should just do like a round robin. So maybe we go Dory, Chase, then Mark for Kate's question on first impressions. So Kate, great question. And in fact, I wrote an article a number of years ago for Forbes, and it was one of my most popular ones that I ever did for Forbes. Uh, where I interviewed Robert Cialdini, who's the author of the great book, Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion, which I recently learned, they, they just came out with a new edition of it. And it has sold more than 5 million copies uh, since it was first released, which is just stunning. But anyway, Cialdini, who's really an expert in these issues, organizational psychology and, uh, and influence, he had a really powerful tip. He said that if you want to make a strong first impression, there's literally one goal that you should have. And that is as quickly as possible, try to find a commonality with the other person. And, you know, the good news is, of course, if it is a legitimate commonality, you are being authentic. You're just, you're talking about some element of yourself, but it also happens to be ideally an element that overlaps with something about them. 
Maybe you used to work at the same company. Maybe you both have dogs. Maybe you're from the same hometown. Maybe you uh, both like the same sports team or the same TV show, whatever it is. But he said, try to just keep fishing so that as quickly as possible, you can find it. Because your goal in that first interaction is essentially to try to connect with someone so that they begin to view you as an us rather than a them. And that begins the virtuous cycle. Like It doesn't have to be a profound connection at first, but it just has to be enough of a connection so that they're willing to engage further and you can then go on from there to build deeper relationship. Brilliant. I love that. Finding common ground is super important when it comes to first impressions. Chase, what are your thoughts? I absolutely agree with Dory. That common ground is so important. If you're standing in the same building as a person, then the building is the common ground. If you're at the same event in a, in the same hotel, even if you're just carrying the same brand of bag or something as someone, that's the first common ground. And one common ground leads to larger common ground. So anytime you're in a conversation, you need to ask, discover, react, and relate. And ask a question about that person. Ask a little tiny follow-up question to get some more information. React to it and say, oh, wow, that's incredible. And then relate and then say something similar or a similar idea that you've had. That's the pathway to get to common ground as soon as possible. And first impressions are formed in as little as 33 milliseconds, 33 milliseconds. And most of that's because our brains are evolved to shortcut everything we do to maximize our hard drive that, that we can use for other stuff. But if you have somebody who's uncertain, or you have somebody who has a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of doubt, that person's going to be searching for negative information. Because they're searching for things that are we're just detecting danger. So they're looking for things that might be a threat. So it's important to mitigate that, you're, that you look and you're internally feeling like you want to connect with other people and that you're open and communicating warmth to other people. And I think one of the best ways to start a conversation, especially with that first impression, is to ask for advice or ask for an opinion on something for that, that somebody near you might be able to offer. I've even done something as small, like in a country, I was in Stockholm, Sweden. I just held up a picture on my phone and it was genuine. I asked someone if they knew how to crop an image <laughs> and they stopped everything they were doing to teach me how to use like the iPhone uh, picture editing app. But absolutely common ground is the number one place to start. Awesome. Chase, sorry, Mark, how about you? That was awesome, Chase. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with both of those points there from Dorian Chase. Here's my issue with this idea of first impressions is this truism of you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And it's only a truism because that whole sentence messes around with the idea of, of second and first. The reality is, is you get a chance to make a new first impression every 33 milliseconds. Okay. You, the brain is constantly has a radar on for looking for a difference, looking for something new, looking for something drastically different to happen to alert it to make a new assumption about the environment. The assumption of is this a benefit to me and should I approach it or is there a risk for me and should I retreat away from it. And so what I say to people is, if you think that you may well, for whatever reason, have messed up your first impression, 
don't try and change things subtly. Don't try and go, you know, I will gradually try and morph myself into a more reasonable, uh, better version of me for this person. Make a choice, make it bigger, keep it tidy, make a quick, dramatic, big change so that the people around you their instinct has a chance to reassess you. They will notice you again, first of all. They'll make a reassessment. And yes, if you use those techniques talked about there from, you know, Chase and Dory of find a connection, then they're going to reconnect with you in a really positive way. But never think, oh, it's too late. I messed it up the first time. I'm done. You're never done. You can make a new impression and better impression every 33 milliseconds, as Chase was saying there. Now, here's the thing. Be best not to, though, wouldn't it? Just make, <laughs> make the best impression in the first place if you can. Think about it before you even go in there. What do I want to get across? Who do they want to see? Do those two things fit? Can I come across as who I want to see? Does who I want to be for them fit in with who they really need? And if it does, can I just go in and deliver that to them? Hope that's helpful to you. Yeah, I wanted to say something I heard very recently, which is you have to always anticipate that it's the, there's going to be rain the day you plan the family picnic. And if you do that, going into some of these interactions where, you know, especially in a business setting, which Dory, I'm about to ask you something about that, that you'll be prepared and hopefully you don't have to circle back. Now, Dory, we've obviously talked many times and and I wanted to ask you in kind of a real life scenario where you may have been consulting or maybe you're giving a keynote or something and you knew, you knew that it wasn't necessarily your best or maybe for some of the entrepreneurs in the audience that their pitch on this discovery call was not up to par. And just to recap, the, the question from Kate was about initial first impressions on your personal brand. Dory, what would you say in order to, how would you approach it in, in terms of circling back to maybe salvage or reestablish your personal brand? As Mark was saying, you still have all these other opportunities to do so. What is the best way to do that to calm some of the nerves of people who've been through that in the audience? Yeah, thanks, Rich. So Mark is absolutely right. Uh, you cannot afford to be subtle because the truth is once people form an opinion of you, there's a, a phrase in psychology, which I love, phrase is being a cognitive miser. And that is that is what the brain wants to do. The brain is optimized to conserve energy. And so, of course, you know, if there's some big change, if there's some big thing that happens, your brain is going to snap to attention. But mostly, you know, our brains are a little bit lazy. And so unless there's a good reason, our brain is not going to want to expend a lot of energy. And so that's how you end up in situations where let's say you've been working at the same company for seven years. Well, people formed an opinion of you when they first met you, and then they probably haven't actually updated it very much, which can lead to a lot of personal branding problems for people. This is something I talk about a lot in my book, Reinventing You, because people are still thinking of you as like the intern. Meanwhile, you know, you're like 35 now, and they haven't really picked up on the fact that you have learned a lot, that you're a lot sharper, that you have a lot more to bring to the table. So that's why we have to constantly be conscious about updating our brand and transmitting that to other people. So the quick version in terms of if you've gotten off on the wrong foot with someone, 
the thing to do. Uh, and, you know, forgive me, this is painful, uh, but research has shown that uh, what we want to do is we kind of want to flee from the other person and not deal with them because it's weird and uncomfortable and embarrassing. That's the wrong move because if we flee from them and don't just don't talk to them, uh, they're never going to update their impression of us. It's going to stay ossified forever. What we have to do instead is to spend more time with them. And we actually have to do things like volunteer to spend more time with them, to be on the committee with them, et cetera, so that we are up close rubbing shoulders and that gives them a specific reason why they need to focus on us and update their impression. That was some excellent feedback in terms of how to get over, you know, an initial bad reaction. And I remember I interviewed Dr. Jack Schaefer, actually, Dory, the interview that you were on, episode number one, and I learned in that conversation that like, you know, the first 30 seconds is what matters. And if you fail to make a good impression within those first 30 seconds, it will take a long time for people to get over the initial impression of you, even if you've had so many different interactions with them. And so that initial first impression matters so much. And I want to get into body language in a bit. But first, I know that we have a relevant question on the stage. Caroline on the stage has a question about rebranding, which I know a lot of you guys on stage have an opinion about. So Caroline, I'd love for you to ask you your question since it's generally on this topic. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me up on stage. My question is, what is the best way to transition when you want to rebrand? Caroline, Ben. 100% Dory needs to answer this. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Oh, thank, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Great question, Caroline. And it's actually perfect timing because I will answer this. And then unfortunately, I have a, a hard stop because I have a coaching client I have to get to to talk about rebranding. So <laughs> I'll give you guys a, a preview. When it comes to rebranding, this is an area that I think the biggest mistake that I see is a failure to control our own narrative. What often happens is that we assume either that people are paying more attention to us than they are, or that the moves that we're making will somehow intuitively make sense to other people. And the, the rule of thumb that I, I think we can follow is uh, to just you know err on the side of assuming that other people are completely checked out that they're not paying attention to you and that because they are in fact cognitive misers, they are just not going to connect any dots whatsoever on their own. And so therefore we have to connect the dots for them. Now, you know, of course, like your mom, your best friend, they're going to be paying attention, but for everybody else, for all the random people, we have to create a script. We have to create a, a sort of pitch so that we can explain to them okay, I used to do this thing. Now I want to do this other thing. And if that's all we say, they're going to be like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Huh? Maybe she's having a midlife crisis. Like people just come up with all kinds of weird things. So you have to tell the story. You have to explain, I used to do this. I'm going to do this thing. Here's how the pieces connect. Here's why I'm making the transition. Here's why I'm going to bring my special sauce to it. And the thing that I did before is going to give me a competitive advantage. If, if you see that and you're able to say that to other people, odds are, you know, it's not that other people are like rude or combative. They're not going to be like, no, Caroline, that's not true. Like uh, almost never. They're going to just be like, oh, okay. But they will receive it gladly and it'll be fine. But the issue is just they would never make the connection on their own. So you have to be conscious of what the narrative is and conveying it to other people first. 
So I hope that is helpful. I'm going to sign off with you guys, but it's been awesome talking to everyone. And Hala and Rich, thank you guys so much for for having me on here. And Mark and Chase, it's been fantastic to be your compatriots here. Likewise. Thanks, Dory. Thank you, Dory. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you. And let me follow up really quick with Caroline. Anytime you're rebranding, if you've got a tribe of people and there's some revenue or potential revenue coming from that tribe. So if you have 10,000 subscribers or whatever, and you rebrand in a way that alienates the people who are with you now or changes to target a new type of market, I'd be very cautious about doing a rapid rebrand. I would uh, definitely do exactly what Dory was talking about and explaining the reasons why. So they feel invested. They feel personally invested, like they understand where the shift came from. So I think shifting brands when you've already got a following is a little bit difficult only because it can spell a loss of revenue for you. Absolutely. And the, the last question is from Caroline, and it was Chase put some effort into that one as well and Dory, but we're going to get to Mark and Mark's opinion on a rebrand and what it could mean uh, as far as what, how that can affect, uh, whether it's positive or adversely, your personal brand. Yeah. So let me approach this from how I might coach somebody into in some interpersonal communication, because that might help us understand what we need to do in some of these bigger communications when we're rebranding and how easy it actually might be. So in interpersonal communication, if I feel like I want to change the impression that I've made with somebody, I might go up to them and I might say, so I'm concerned that I've given you the wrong impression about me. What I want you to know about me is that I am X and I am Y and I am Z. So how can I best do that for you? So all I'm doing is saying, I think you might have the wrong idea about me. Here's exactly the idea that I want you to have about me. And then I say, what would I have to do for you to have that idea about me? And that consistently works really well in interpersonal communication because if the other human being you're talking to has a social mammalian brain, they are designed to try and help you. The moment you go, I'm really concerned about this. I've done something that might not be quite right. Here's what I'm trying to get. Give me some advice of how I'd get that with you. They'll usually jump in to help you around this. Now, could you do the same with that as a rebrand? Could you go to your audience who you're wanting to have a new impression of you and say, hey, everybody, Here's, I'm concerned because here's what I think you've been thinking about me. And what I really want you to think about me is X and Y and Z. And so I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just asking you, what would you need to see and hear and, and look for me to do in order for you to know that be true? And so therefore, to Chase's point there, you're asking your constituency, you're asking your base, number one, what do I need to do in order for you to see this brand in me? I hope that's that's helpful and makes sense. Well, I mean, doesn't it? That to me speaks to a personal brand that involves their audience. It's a decision you have to make, obviously. If you've already have the desire in your mind to rebrand, but now you're being inclusive of it, that's a much better feeling if you are on the other side of it rather than if you're just getting told this is what's happening. Do I have that right? Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And it strikes this idea in me that if a personal brand isn't about your audience, 
then who on earth is it about? Now, I can totally see how you could create a personal brand for you. It's a message for yourself to keep you on track for how you want to be, to keep you in line, to keep you your best version of yourself. But who are you doing that for? Because if you're just doing it in a vacuum of you, that's actually what we call an antisocial behavioral disorder. I might put forward. So you've really always got to think about the other human beings around you. Who are you doing this for? Why? And how is it going to make your combined world, your community, a better place? Because we're social mammals. We are not individuals. We are groups of individuals uh, put together as a, a social unit. And that goes a little against the modern individualism idea and more into a collectivism idea. So that might not ring true for some ideologies that are out there, but it's kind of empirically true in terms of our species. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at Yap. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'd actually love to stick on that a bit because I find it extremely fascinating. You know, I know that like when it comes to humans and, and then in the Stone Age, like we needed each other to survive. So how does that kind of like mentality of, of needing people to survive actually impact personal branding and how we treat each other when it comes to, you know, understanding each other, respecting each other and things like that? Chase, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I would definitely pass that to Mark. He's got the sociological background to really explain some of that stuff. But I think if we look back to evolution, and remember all good persuasion and influence works because our ancestors needed to live. So the way that a tribe got along was determining factor on whether or not you survived. 
So if any time you have a tribe and you are alienating the tribe or making them feel like they can't expect what's coming next. And we remember at the very beginning of this chat, we talked about our brain is an expectancy machine. We are able to walk and take steps and eat food all because we can expect what's happening next. So any kind of uncertainty in brand, especially during a shift, creates uncertainty in the tribe. And that's something we've definitely got to manage. Mark, what do you think? I couldn't agree more, Chase. Here's the way I look at it is we've got this social mammalian brain, as as Chase was talking about there, and it is purely designed to get us into groups. This is the only reason it's there, is to stop us being an individual and form groups so we are more competitive than other individual organisms and some other groups. And the way it groups us together is under values, beliefs, rituals, customs, goals, concerns, and signals. Let me just attack two of those elements because I think they're probably most important when it comes to building some kind of brand. Values are what we believe are most important, the things that we think are most important. What do I and my group value most. Because the reason I value it most is because I was taught to value it most. It was the way to fit in with the group that I value it most. I was uh, indoctrinated into that group via that value system. There were rituals and customs that I took part in in order to make sure those values were imbued. They were literally locked into the neurology of my brain. So if your brand can display that value system, it will fit with the group, the group will will want to be a part of it, they will trust it. Beliefs. Beliefs are the things we know to be true and require no more evidence around. The things that we believe that we know to be true and require no more evidence around. Think about your brand. Think about what you're communicating that you know to be true and require no more evidence around because the beliefs of your brand are going to include some and exclude others. The values of your brand will include some and will exclude others. No brand can be universally accepted, universally loved, or in fact, universally hated. You you have to choose what are your values, what are your beliefs, and you distribute those and display those through your rituals, customs, goals, concerns, and signals. And if you are strong in those, they will rub up against others' brands, be sometimes quite competitive or even combative with them. They will cause people to gravitate towards you and others to be repelled away from you. Brilliant, brilliant response. I love having rooms with Mark and Chase because they're just such a wealth of knowledge. And I feel like there's no question I can ask that really stumps you guys. And I love that. So we have two of the biggest body language experts in the world on stage, if not the two biggest in the whole world. So I definitely need to ask you guys about body language. So 
There's a lot of people here in the room who are probably brand new to body language, brand new to personal branding. And so if you guys can just give like a one-on-one in terms of body language and how it relates to personal branding and, and you know, what actions and simple gestures and things that we can do to increase our persuasion, increase our credibility and change someone's perception about us. So I'd love to kick it off. Maybe let's start with Mark and then Chase in terms of like, what is your like basic guidance in terms of body language related to personal branding? Yeah, lovely. Okay. So look, I think there are some really simple models that you can just think about body language from in order to get an idea of of what you want to get across. Look, as I said right at the start of all of this, we judge each other. I judge you, you judge me, and we judge each other based on behaviors, on information we get about you. And a lot of the behavior, a lot of the information that we're looking for is around what you physically do because you have an impact on the world, not only by what you say, but uh, language turned up a lot later on in our evolution that our instinct is really obsessed with what your body is physically doing in order to understand, is this person a benefit or a risk? So, Let's just think about body language either being open or closed, or sometimes I call it being warm or cold. Think about yourself in front of a warm fire and how open your body language is because you're really absorbing that lovely heat. And think about yourself on a cold day where you've closed up, you've tightened yourself, you've minimized how big your body is, and you're not moving very much because you're wanting to conserve because energy, conserving energy, if you don't conserve enough energy, there's a risk around that. Just open or closed body language. Now, which one of those do you feel would best represent you and the idea about you that you're trying to get across to your specific audience? Because there is no bad body language. There's just results that you wanted or didn't want. And and really, that's my main point, okay? That there is no such thing as bad body language. There's only a result that you wanted or a result that you didn't want. And you can control a lot of your body language. Some is harder to control and some of it you can't control. You have to countermeasure it. But there's a lot of your behavior that you are totally in charge of. It takes a bit of effort and sometimes it takes very little effort. But you can be in charge of some of the most important stuff What do you want to convey to other people? Simple model, do you want to be open to them and warm, or do you want to be close to them and cold? Or is it something in between on that kind of scale there? But you can control this. And even when I say open or closed, cold or warm, you're getting a picture in your head of how you already would look in that situation. You're internally modeling with your mirror neurons based on my words. You're modeling in your head, oh, this is what I'd look like if I'm open. This is what I'd look like if I'm closed. And if I said to you, hey, just do that now, do that now, you'd be able to do it. You'd be able to do it on purpose. And then I'd say, so can you do that 24-7? Can you, when you are certainly in conscious control, when you're not asleep, could you do that more often than you don't do it? Could you do it more on purpose? That, for me, is controlling your brand, deciding the message, deciding the meaning by being in control of your body language. That's my take on it. Uh, Chase, what do you think? I agree with everything Mark said. You absolutely can. 
there's a phrase that really got me moving forward on a lot of the stuff that I'm doing nowadays and just to get it out there. And that phrase is done is better than perfect. And you can always fix it a little bit later, but getting it out there is better than having a perfect product because that might take years and years and you'll, it'll, nothing will ever be perfect. So done is better than perfect. Get started on your brand today. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. One person once put it to me like this, a bad idea today is better than a great idea tomorrow. Because, you know, if you start building that bad idea today, you'll know by the end of the day that it was the wrong choice. And you'll start reiterating and you'll build something bigger. And you'll be ahead of the game. So I couldn't agree more with that. So here's my idea around this. And actually, before I go into this idea, thank you, Hala. Thank you, Rich, for having me here. And especially, it's always great here to be with, with Chase because Chase is like, it's like family, if not family. You can find myself and Chase on the behavior panel with Greg and Scott. So join us there if you like hanging out with us. And Rich and Hala, I hope you'll have us back again sometime. So here's my thoughts around this. Best advice I've ever really been given about how to create an image of some sort, and brand is an image of some sort, is make a choice, make it bigger, keep it tidy. Decide what you want to communicate. Now, so that's make a choice. Make a strong choice. The next problem is you haven't made it big enough. They're never going to see that. Whatever choice you just made, they're never going to notice it. So now take that choice and make it even bigger. So they're really never going to be able to miss it. Now here's what's going to happen. You're going to go, oh, but if I just added a bit of this and I added a bit of that and I just put some tinsel around the side and put a bit of glitter on and added a banana to it and some whipped cream, like that would make it even better. No, it won't. It won't. You'll spoil it. You'll destroy it. You'll muddy it. Keep it tidy. Don't do anything else. You make a choice. You make it bigger and you keep it tidy. And then people will really know what it is you're communicating. Here's the issue, and you're going to have to be brave. They might not like it. That's the only thing. It might be so clear, they might go, you know what? It's clear what you're doing. I don't like it. But the people who does resonate with are going to go, I get it. I want to be part of that. Where do I join in with you? Where do I sign up? So there it is. Make a choice. Make it bigger. Keep it tidy. I love that. That's so brilliant. So before you guys go, I do want to make sure that everybody knows about all your books, where to find you. I know you guys do a show together. So let's kick it over to Chase and then Mark, if you guys can just let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, for me, you can uh, just Google Chase Hughes or go to chasehughes.com. I'm most active on Instagram. And that's just Chase Hughes official on Instagram, which is in my bio. If you just click on my face right there. And we also have a show on YouTube. I think we're one of the fastest growing channels on YouTube. And uh, that's called The Behavior Panel. It's me. It's Mark. It's a guy named Greg Hartley and Scott Rouse. So we're four of the world's top behavioral experts, and we diagnose videos and whether or not people are being honest or deceptive from politicians and murder cases to people who say they gave birth to aliens to see whether or not they are telling the truth. And it's a pretty fun show. It's definitely the best night of my week when we record those episodes. And I'll kick it over to Mark. And thanks, everybody. 
Yeah, absolutely. Get over to the behavior panel. Join us there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun over there. If you want to, you know, hang out with me, then uh, you, just like Chase, but but Google Mark Bowden and you will find me there. Uh, go over to LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I post a lot of content up there. I hang out a lot with people there because it's kind of the business crowd for me that that I really work with. So uh, get over there and uh, link in with me immediately and we can talk more there. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for everything. Uh, Hala, do you have any parting thoughts? It was way exceeded my expectations uh, by by miles. I think that this was such an incredible session. And I'm just so thankful to have the opportunity to be a creator's first finalist. You know, just being here is wonderful. And, you know, I hope to continue to have rooms like this. And I really appreciate Mark Chase Dory, who was here earlier all their time. And I think either way, we had a wonderful conversation and everybody who listened in gained amazing insights. So thank you guys so much, Rich. I'll kick it over to you to close. Yeah, thank you all. Um, Look, all I want to say in the end is a personal brand is not fluffy. It doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't need to be complicated. You got a lot of different advice, whether it was business, uh, situational or behavioral or, or communicative. There's so many different pockets and you can probably find many, many off ramps to avoid actually taking it seriously. But I have not yet met a person or worked with a person who has been sad or disappointed that they ever began taking it seriously because ultimately what I think it is and what it can do it's an exercise in self-development like no other. Entrepreneurship is very much the same way. But if you are able to tap into perfecting some of the things about you and being clear on who you are and what messages you want to convey and who you want to attract, knowing, like Mark and Chase said, that 50% of the people probably won't care or won't be interested, that you'll probably repel some but attract others, then that's our duty, in my opinion, is to help other people through some of our experiences. And and that's why uh, Hala and I are so passionate about this. That's why we brought the experts that we brought on. So we are incredibly grateful for your support and spending so much time with us. And Clubhouse, if you're listening, I know you know you want more of this. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it as well. So thank you, everyone, for coming and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your Thursday. Thank you. Brilliant job, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. See you all. Bye now.